because uh, normally we'd be in the book of Titus, and we've been going through the letter to Titus. Today, I want to do a little shift, because, you know, at times of transition, I think we need to see the Lord, and I think we need to see God in a unique way, that, that God is at work, and we need to see who God is in light of who we are, and also as we commend Katie and Ryan and Jessica and then eventually Joe and Roxy as well, I want to make sure that we send them off with a word as well. So this word is both for them and for us who are remaining too. So turn your Bibles to Judges 7. Um, You're probably familiar with Judges 7. A lot of the kids in Grace Kids, if you are a parent, have been learning about Gideon. And no, I didn't steal this lesson from them, but I think God spoke it to me for us for today. And the reason when I look at Judges 7 this morning is because when people leave to go part of a church replant, there can be a little trepidation on the half of of those leaving and going. You know, we commend Joe and Roxy and Katie and Ryan and Jessica for going to revitalize a church, for going up to uh, northern Greenville County, and that's commendable. At the same time, though, having been a part of church plants, it's it's a little intimidating, It can be a fearful time. You can be aware of your weaknesses, your inabilities. You can be aware of your inadequacies. And so I want to help impart faith to you as you go that what kind of people God uses. And then when we send people out, it can be intimidating. Oh no, we just just lost our main worship leader. What will we do? And then you realize, no, wait a minute, it's about God. And so there's, there's no reason for fear. And so in a church, whenever we go through transition, it can be trying and it can tempt you to think, okay, we're weak, we're small. What happens when we lose more people? Oh no, what would that look like? And will God use our small efforts to accomplish his works? What will happen? What will God do? But you know what? It's not just in sending out people and in church planting. It's in our daily lives that this applies as well. So maybe you are you know, check it out and you're thinking, hey, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't care about Joe and Roxy and those guys and, um, you know, or I don't care about whether we're staying here or not and, and I'm not worried about those things, but I have something to ask you is, do you ever face fear? Do you ever have fear in your life? How about, how about this? So have you ever, anybody ever experienced fear in their life? Raise your hand. How about this past week or this past month? Have you experienced weakness in your life, maybe? Weakness of some sort? This message is for you. Gideon, the message of Gideon, is all about how God uses weak people. He uses fearful people. He uses people that are relatively useless. And that's really good news. So in our weakness and our fears, what we need to see is that God uses weak, fearful people to accomplish his great purposes. So let's turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 7. And we'll see what this account of Gideon is really all about. No, I might have you stand, but it's 22 verses. I won't, I won't tempt you that way. So stand in your hearts. Realize that this is God's holy inspired word for you and I specifically today. Let's hear God's word. Then Jerobabal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harad. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them there for you there. And if any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. And so he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and the trumpets, and he set all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, 
Go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost, the armed men who were in the camp, and the Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel, God has given his, into his hand Midian in all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of his dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the men into three companies and put trumpets in the hands of all of them with empty jars and torches inside. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me Then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon! So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch, when they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and the right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah towards Zerah and as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabath. This is the Lord's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in your word, you give us accounts of very real people. God, people who are fearful, people who are weak, people who are unable. And God, you give us these accounts not to condemn us, but to show your might. And God, how you use fearful, weak, and timid people to accomplish your salvation to do your great work. God, I pray that you would speak encouragement to each and every one of our hearts here this morning. Encouragement that, Lord, no matter what it seems like, Lord, for those who are leaving, for those who are staying, Lord, for those who are fearful and weak, God, I pray that our eyes would be on you, that we would see that you are the great God who uses weak and fearful people. And that, God, you accomplish your purposes despite our weakness, despite our fear. God, would you give us faith in you? Not faith in ourselves, but faith in you this morning, I pray. Lord, give all of us ears to hear. And Lord, fill me with your spirit so that I might preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was growing up, I heard all kinds of stories about what this story of Gideon was all about. I heard all kinds of things about, you know, well, maybe this story is just about how, be strong, be bold like Gideon. But if you read the account, in context from chapter 6 to chapter 8, that's, that's really not the case at all. Gideon is not this really bold, brave, courageous man. Or, or maybe you've heard it say, you know, um, if you're just obedient like Gideon, but he's really kind of feeble in his obedience. Or if you're just full of faith like Gideon, then God will do great things for you too. But when you read the story of Gideon in context, he's not full of faith. Or be strong like Gideon, and then you realize he's kind of this weak man that God uses. And so the story's not about that. And I've, I've heard it, you know, at, at, a, at different places for pastors. Well, you know, this is a lesson on leadership, how to lead like Gideon. And I think, well, I hope not. Because the story of Gideon doesn't end very well. It ends, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but it ends with Gideon collecting an offering after this great victory that he has. In chapter eight, he collects his offering from everybody, and you think that, oh, maybe he's gonna give it to the Lord, but no, he creates an idol. And all of Israel fails and falls because of Gideon's bad leadership. And 
you see that, well, this story is not about how great Gideon is. You know, I named my son Gideon, but I didn't name my son Gideon because he's this great hero. I named my son Gideon because God uses weak people to demonstrate that he's the hero. And, and that's what you see in this account of Gideon. Gideon's all about God. It's a story about God. This is not a story about how impressive Gideon is and how mighty Gideon is and how great he is and how valiant he is because in every step of the way, Gideon is weak, he is fearful, and he's hesitant. And yet what we see is the true hero in the story is God. God is faithful. God is merciful. God continues to be patient and merciful and kind. And God, he does some great things through weak people like Gideon. You need to see the context of Judges. If you have your Bibles, um, you can go back and read in chapter 6. But what you see in chapter 6 is that the people of Israel, they are oppressed by the Midianites. And the reason they're oppressed by the Midianites is because they've been consistently disobedient They've been consistently disobedient. God says to them, he says, you know, he sends a prophet and he says, you know, every time I've been faithful, I delivered you out of Egypt, I brought you out of bondage, I brought you out of slavery, and and yet you continue to be disobedient. You disobey my voice. And so they are in captivity and they are in bondage to the Midianites for seven years. And whenever the Israelites would plant their crops, what would happen is the Midianites would wait for the crops to be harvested. Then they would come in and they reap everything. They'd steal everything. They'd take the animals that were used to harvest it. They were kind of smart. They waited until the animals were raised again. The crops were full. And they would wipe everything out. And so the Israelites were living in fear. And as a little background to the story that we have, that's where you find Gideon. You find Gideon in a place of fear. If you look back in chapter 6, he is out and he is beating out wheat in a wine press in this hollowed out depression in the ground. He is hiding. And normally they would throw the wheat up in the air and the wind from the, from the coast would come blow in and it would separate the wheat and the chaff. And yet Gideon here, he is fearful because he's afraid that the Midianites will come. Now he might be clever, but he is fearful and he's hiding. And, and the angel of the Lord comes to him. And in Judges 6.12... I think we have this for you. It says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And as you read the story, you're kind of struck, or you should be. You're meant to be struck with something is, hey, wait a minute. Here's this guy hiding. He's afraid. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, oh, mighty man of valor. And you think, there's some, that's not a mighty man of valor. And yet God saw what, who he would make him to be. He finds Gideon afraid. The title doesn't fit. His fear is obvious. We're meant to see that. But his fear is not just obvious. It's also offensive because if you look down in Judges 6, 13 and 14, he says, he says, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? So what does he do when, when the angel of the Lord, probably, most likely, the pre-incarnate Jesus, the, the angel of the Lord appears, a theophany, appears to Gideon, and he says, you know, mighty man of valor, how does he respond? He says, well, if that's really true, if God's really with us, then why are we in this situation? You ever, you ever been tempted that way? You ever been tempted to feel that way? If God's really with us, then why am I struggling? If God's really with me, then why do I continue to struggle with sin? If God's really with me, then why do I continue to to have problems in these relationships. If God's really with me, then why is life so hard? If God's really with me, why do we have financial difficulties? You can go on and on and on. If, if God's really with me, then why is all this bad stuff happening to us? And his response is offensive. He's questioning God. God, if you really are with me, then why is all this stuff happening? And he's impugning the character of God. And, and you know what? I think we can relate because we're tempted to do that as well. But then, how does God respond? God responds with a lot of mercy. God mercifully responds to Gideon, and he says, right after Gideon just impugned God's character to his face, Gideon hears from the Lord, and he says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And you gotta be wondering, what in the world is the angel of the Lord talking about? Go in this might of yours? Didn't he just say, hey, if you're with us, then where are you? The angel of the Lord says, go in this might of yours. What might could he be talking about? 
And Gideon responds, and he goes, well, how can I do that? I'm the weakest. I'm the least of my clan, and my, can, my clan's small. So he, he continues to argue with God. He's not full of faith. He's weak. And yet, what does God respond to him? In, in Judge 6.16, the Lord says to him, he says, but I will be with you and save Israel. Go in this might of yours. I'm sorry, I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And then you think, well, maybe now, because the angel of the Lord has spoken to him three times. So maybe now he'll have faith. But then he immediately puts the Lord to the test again and says, hey, you know, just to make sure that I'm really hearing from you correctly here, why don't um, I make you a little meal? And I'll kind of see what happens. So he makes a meal, he comes back, he puts the meal in front of the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord takes his staff, and he touches the food, and then fire springs up from this rock, consumes the whole meal, and the angel of the Lord is gone. He disappears. And then Gideon finally says, whoa, I just saw the angel of the Lord face to face. And now you think, okay, great. Maybe now he'll have faith, right? And you think, well, if I saw the angel of the Lord face to face, then I would have faith. And yet so often we don't, like Gideon. And then Gideon's response, it's, it's really feeble. It's pathetic. How does he respond when not only has God spoken to him and God has prophetically said, you're a man of valor, I will be with you, don't worry, I'm going to be here. And then he proves who he is and how mighty he is. And then he, he consumes this meal and he disappears. God speaks to him again, he fills him with the Spirit. And then how does Gideon respond in the latter part of chapter 6? He puts God to the test, he doesn't really believe him. Well, God, if, it, if, if, if you really have called me, I'm going to put this fleece out. And, and then I'll see if the, if the fleece gets wet and all the ground around it is dry, th then I'll do it. And so God does that. And he's like, well, hey, Lord, please don't be mad with me, but I'm not sure I really believe yet. And so if I put the fleece out again, maybe that's just coincidence. You know, he says he wrung out enough water to fill a bowl of water. And, and he says, well, maybe, maybe that's just coincidence. And, and so God, I'm going to put another fleece out. And so he does that. And he says, this time if the fleece is dry and everything else is wet, then I'll follow you. And the picture we're meant to get is not be like Gideon. It's not be like Gideon. It's not Gideon's a great person. It's not be the man of valor that God declared him to be. No, it was Gideon is fearful. He's weak, and we're meant to get that. And the reason I love the story of Gideon is because it's a story of how God takes the weak he takes the useless, he takes the feeble, he takes the powerless, he takes those who are doubting and struggling with fear, he comes to them, he has mercy on them, and then he does things through them that they could never do. That's what we need to see. Maybe you're feeling weak today. Maybe you've been feeling weak this whole week, this whole year. Maybe you're a little fearful, maybe you're doubting, maybe like getting you're thinking, hey God, if, if you're with us, then where are you? And the good news is, what we really see in the first eight verses here, is that God uses people with no confidence in their strength. That's kind of good news. That's the kind of people God uses. Christianity is not the message of how God takes the best and brightest, and then he just, you know, he, he kind of supplements them. No, that's not it at all. God uses people with no confidence in their own strength. And actually... He takes every one of us to the place, we must every one of us come to the place to become a Christian, to even be a Christian, to follow God, you have to get to the place where eventually you say, God, I cannot. I have no confidence in my own strength. And that's the kind of people that God uses. And that's what we see in the first eight verses of chapter seven. We see that God uses people with no confidence in their own strength. And that is good news. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I lack confidence. You know, this morning, I lack confidence. I, I, I don't know how many times I lack confidence in my own strength and my own abilities. And it's even more dangerous when I don't lack confidence. God is looking for people who don't have confidence in their own strength so that they can look to him for strength. And cry out to him. <laughs> God's not looking for people who trust in themselves. And that's good news. He's not looking for people who are, wow, they're impressive, they're mighty, they're great, they're, they're full of strength. We see God comes mercifully and he calls 
fearful, weak people who lack strength, the weakest and the least. And and God wants them to, to know that the kind of person he uses is the kind of person who has no strength. That's what we see in the first eight, eight verses here. What's God doing? He, he says at the very beginning in, in verse two there, it's kind of the key to the whole passage. Look down your Bibles. The Lord says to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give into the Midianites into their hand. And, and, and you might be thinking, well, hang on, because I'm, I remember I just heard you say in, in verse 12 that they were, they were numbered like the sand of the seashore was the camels, and that the people were like locusts. They were all over the place. So how in the world could what we see is 32,000 people? How could that be too many? Because that doesn't seem like enough. And they don't have any camels. And if you've ever read accounts of warfare, foot soldiers don't fare too well against cavalry. And yet God says, no, that's too many. You've got too many people with you. He says, the people with you are too many. Why does, he, why does he say they're too many? Look, look in verse 2. He says, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Self-righteousness, self-sufficiency is dangerous. And God says, I want nothing to do with the people that trust in themselves, that trust in their own abilities. God doesn't, about using people who trust in themselves, their own abilities. God says, I want you to know that you need to trust in my ability you trust in my strength, and that's when I'll do great things. You know, the Apostle Paul says something similar. He says, you know, when I'm weak, then I am strong. Well, he wasn't somehow saying that he personally was strong, but that the strength of God is revealed in weakness. And his weakness, he was dependent upon God, and that is when God shows up. In your own life, when you are weak, is when God is most powerfully at work. He says, I don't want them to be here because they're going to say, my own hand has saved me. And so what does he do? He sends away. He pairs down. This first pairing down, it was somewhat voluntary. He knew, he knew their hearts. He knew that some people were afraid. And, and I've heard this message preached that, oh, this message is all about faith. And so what he's really doing is trying to get people down to where they have faith and only getting faithful people. And that's, that's not what God's doing. He's trying to get them so that they don't have faith in themselves. That's what he's doing. And so God, he sends 22,000 people away. And I'm guessing Gideon probably was like, oh, what, am, what am I going to do now? Oh, gosh. 32,000, maybe we could do some guerrilla warfare tactics against, I don't know, some people have estimated a couple hundred thousand people, 135,000 people. I don't know how they got into those estimates, but some weirdos have mapped out the valley there that they were in and said, okay, here's how many people would fill up the valley. Yet. I don't have time for that. I just know that it, was, says, it says more than the, the locusts, they blanketed everything, and the, the camels more than the, the sand and the seashore. It was a lot more people than 32,000, because 32,000 you can get an idea of. And, and, and so Gideon must have had this moment of panic when he's thinking, okay, 32,000, maybe we can do some guerrilla warfare tactics. Maybe we can do some damage. Hit and run, and we can, we can do some things. But God takes away 22,000 people. So I'm sure he was like, oh, all right, well, you know, maybe with 10,000, we can attack in the night, freak them out, do some stuff. And then God says, no. Nope, it's still too many. It's still too many. What was God doing? God was wanting the people of Israel and Gideon to know that it's not about their own strength. It's not about their own ability. He uses people with no confidence in their own strength. And so then he kind of pairs this down. We, we hear this weird account about the lapping and the putting the hands. And then it gets a little confusing because it says people who lap. And then, it, and then the verses kind of get mixed up. And then, but, but people have it in their hands. And I've heard all kinds of weird stories told about, well, you know, what, what it really was, was God was trying to um, get the people who are really smart. You ever heard that one? You know, that's, I hate to break it to you, that's not what the story's about. God, God's, that's not what the story's about. Why? Because we have commentary from God at the very beginning. We have commentary from from God that should give us a clue of what this story is about. He says, I don't want people to think that my own hand has saved me. So you think he was after people who were really mighty? No, that's not what he was doing at all. 
You know, I, I don't understand the, the lapping, the hand thing, and it gets a little confusing in the middle, but, um, but what seems to be the case is that it's not about that at all. God is actually just about paring them down to 300 people so that they don't have confidence in themselves. Why? Because we know that. God, God told us that. He says, I don't want them to think my own hand has saved me, so what am I gonna do? I'm gonna pare their numbers down. I'm gonna pare it down as low as they can get. This is not about, oh, God wants these wise and mighty warriors because why? He, he doesn't use them as mighty, wise warriors later. All they're doing later is just holding a torch and blowing a horn. And, you know, I, I've heard other accounts saying that, well, you know what, when it says lapping, actually, those are the people with their heads down and were clueless, and so God actually picked the clueless. I don't know if that's the case or not, but, but God's winnowing down the people is what we're meant to get. The story's not about these 300 men and how wonderful and brave they were. No, it was, there was only 300 men. God uses insignificant weakness. That's what the story's all about. You know, God just put in some men's minds to drink a certain way so he could reduce the people down so that in no way could they boast that their hand had saved themselves. That's what he was doing because he told us that's what he's doing. So in the end, there are only 300 men left. They're randomly selected. And now, if he was looking for great warriors, there would have been some great feat. He might have said, you know, hey, Gideon, why don't you set some targets up, and then whoever the ones that get, like the 300 guys who get the bullseye, those are the ones I want to use. Or you know what, um, have his competition, and swordsmanship, or whatever it might be. But he didn't do that. God was getting rid of strength from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300 and I can imagine that Gideon was really sweating it now. He had a force of well over 100,000 probably he was kind of going up against. People on camel. And if you've ever been on a camel, they are quite tall and they're intimidating. And if you um, were a foot soldier in that day, the idea of being confronted by a myriad of cavalry on camel, these big strong animals that they could just step on you, you would be a little fearful. And so now Gideon's thinking, what in the world will I do with 300 people? What, what in the world can I do with 300 people? And, and yet God was at work here. He hadn't left them. He hadn't failed them. He was drawing their numbers down. He was sending people out. He, he wanted them to look to him and trust in him alone for salvation. And he uses people with no confidence in their own strength. That's what we see in the first eight verses. Then we also see in verses nine to 15 that he uses fearful people, fearful, even people who can't talk. He uses fearful people and gives them faith. He uses fearful people, then gives them faith. I love the account in verse nine. It says, that same night the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, I'm thinking, really, if? Is that even necessary, if you are afraid? God's being really kind. He's being very merciful to Gideon here. He says, but if you're afraid, Gideon, now that I've paired the numbers down from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300, if you're afraid, then here's what I'm telling you to do. Go down anyway. Go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. I've not left you alone. I'm gonna give you somebody to go with you. And you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. You, know, you ever been the place where you've been fearful and afraid? I, I love the way that God responds to Gideon's fear. He's gentle. He's kind with him. He doesn't berate him. He doesn't say, Gideon, man, seriously, how in the world can you be so fearful? Didn't I just prove to you I'm the angel of the Lord? Haven't you heard all the stories about me? Haven't, haven't you heard of how I brought the people out of Egypt? I parted the Red Sea. I brought plagues. And yet, Gideon, you're still fearful. Why? He doesn't berate Gideon. He doesn't condemn him. He, he is merciful and gracious to give him encouragement. You ever, you ever been afraid? You ever been fearful? I remember when I was little, um, we had all kinds of wacky teaching in, in Christianity in the 70s. I mean, not that we don't today, but it was even crazier in the 70s. And, you know, all these stories of you know, the rapture were really present and what would happen and, and that, you know, you better watch out because one day your parents won't be there anymore 
And that's because God came back and you're not really a Christian. And so I heard all these terrifying stories. And one day, uh, my mom used to be a, um, a school teacher. And so she was teaching school while I was at school so she could get home by the time I got off the bus. And so typically that, that would happen. But for some reason, she, she wasn't home when I got home one day from, I think it was first grade. And I got home and, and I didn't have a key. And the house was locked and it was dark and there was nobody around. And the first thing that pops in my head is, oh no, the rapture's come. And I, I'm serious. I thought I was terrified. I was absolutely mortified. I thought that I'm not really a Christian and, and I'm left here alone. Now for like a six-year-old, that's a pretty terrifying thought. My neighbors weren't answering the door. Oh man, maybe they're, maybe they're gone too. And nobody was around, and so I hid behind the bushes and waited for my mom to come home. I think I peed behind the bushes, you know, and I was terrified. You know, sometimes, you know, as a, as a parent now, my kids, some of them are growing up and too fast for me. You know, sometimes I'm tempted to be fearful, like, will my children really love God when they grow up, when they leave home? Will they follow Jesus? It's something I can't control. You know, I've had the fear of being caught when I was a child. When I'd done something wrong, I was fearful. I've had, I've had all kinds of fears. You know, they don't stop when you become a pastor. As a pastor, then now you have all kinds of, of fears and temptations about, will the church really grow? What about me? What if I don't preach a good sermon? What if, what if I don't do this? What if I don't do that? When, oh my goodness. You know, fear of slander and gossip and... Fear of all kinds of stuff. You ever had fear in your life? You know, fear that I will continue to get weaker and weaker until I have no energy at all because I already feel like I don't have any. You know, we're assaulted with all kinds of fears. I don't know what fear you have in your life, but I'm, I'm sure that you're tempted to have fear in something. And the story of Gideon is not a story about a man who got it right and we should follow his example. The story is all about the true hero who's God, who comes to us in our fears, who is gentle with us in our fears, who encourages us in our fears and is patient with us and says, hey, hang on, if you're afraid, just listen. Just listen to what I have to say to you. You know, Gideon was afraid before, but he must have been really afraid because when he's going down to the camp, it tells us what he sees. That's, that's when we see how great the number is of all the Midianites. When he goes down into the camp, he sees that, oh my goodness, they're spread out like locusts in the land, and then they're camels. There's so many camels. And he goes down. You know, God knew he was afraid. He's like, if you're afraid, go down. Well, of course Gideon went down. He was terrified. He wasn't this bold, mighty, valiant man. He was terrified. And so he goes down probably under cover of, of, of darkness we, we see and probably in disguise. And God didn't say, Gideon, if you're afraid, stop it. You know, you ever had somebody tell you that? Don't be fearful. Just stop it. Just stop being afraid. That works, doesn't it? <laughs> God mercifully met Gideon where he was and provided encouragement. And he used those who are fearful and need of faith, and he imparts faith. And don't think today that God's leaving you alone in your fear. He's not. God's, God, you know, think, well, wait a minute. God's not giving me any kind of prophetic thing here. He's not giving me any kind of theophany. Well, he is. You're reading it right now. He's given you his word. It's filled with account after account of men and women who God's delivered, prophecy after prophecy fulfilled, and time after time testifying to his faithfulness to save precisely so we might be filled with encouragement. And he says, don't have faith in our great faith, but have faith in God. You know, what, what enemy are you facing? What great enemy? What overwhelming enemy do you face? What, church, what situation or circumstance is too great for you? You think it's too great for God's people? You know, our culture around us seems to be collapsing and getting worse and worse and our, and our, our government is whacked out and, and so, oh my gosh, you know, what in the world? God, where are you? And God says, no, look and see. Throughout history, time and time again, I've always used weak and faithless people, weak and fearful people to do my great work. Have faith. If you want to draw children, don't lose heart. 
You, your hand can't save yourself. It never could. It never will. The good news is we have a great father who is able. He's powerful. He's able to rescue. And like Gideon, God's not ridiculing you. He, he, he knows your weakness. He knows your fear, and he has mercy on you. And so what happens when Gideon's afraid? He goes down with Pur into the camp, and then he goes to the outpost of the armed men on the way down. He sees how big they are. And then verse 13 tells us what happened. Now think about what had to happen for this to occur. So God would have had to have previously been at work to give this guy a dream ahead of time before he even told Gideon to go down. God would have already given this man a dream, sent Gideon down there at just the right time to just the right tent among 100 and, let's say 130,000 people to just the right tent at just the right time to hear just the right thing that would give him faith. And that's what happens he goes and he hears this cake of barley. And, and Gideon must be thinking, that must be me. I, I'm, I'm the guy who was threshing barley. And there's this cake of barley, which if you've ever seen a cake of barley, that's not really impressive. And you don't think of a cake of barley as flattening tents, right? And so the picture there is not of this really strong thing. This guy's vision, his dream, is not of this really, of this rock, this rock rolling into camp. No, it's a cake of barley. That's weird. Yeah, man, I had this terrifying dream of a bread roll. And this panini came into the camp. And this, yeah, this thing just flattened the tent. And the other guy, you know, you'd think, we're like, dude, you are nuts. What were you eating or drinking last night? So not only did God have to give this dream at just the right time, and, and send Gideon at the right time to encounter it at the right tent. But he also had to give his comrade the interpretation and not make him mock him. Because it was me, and I'm listening to this guy tell a story about, man, I had this terrifying story of this bread roll coming into. I'm like, dude, what's wrong with you? Did you not see we got like 135,000 people here? But yet God had moved in his comrade's heart as well. And he goes, no. That barley roll, that's none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. This man of Israel, God has given into his hand. Listen to that. You know, this, he uses this enemy of his to be a prophet. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. What do you see in here? You're seeing that God is over even his enemies. God is over our biggest enemies God is able to work in and through our enemies' hearts. He's able to change things. He's able to work and orchestrate time and, and people and what they think. So Gideon gets that and tells us in verse 15 how he reacted. It says he worshiped. As soon as Gideon, look in verse 15, heard the telling of the dream, its interpretation, he worshiped because he realized, oh, I'm afraid, but God is, God is at work. And God really has given them into my hand, even though I'm just a cake of barley. And so he's filled with faith in response to that because God gives fearful people faith. But not faith in themselves or their own ability. Faith in who he is. Where, where does your faith rest today? Does the faith rest in your ability? Where's your faith for your family rest? Where's the faith for... Your future rest? Where's the, the faith for your job rest? Where's the faith for the church rest? Where's the faith for the church replant, for revitalization? Where's that rest? It doesn't even rest in your great example, and you have great examples, by the way. But thanks be to God that it doesn't rest in our ability, it rests in God, who's able to move hearts and minds. God, who's able to, to subdue his enemies, no matter how large they are. Gideon's filled with faith, he worships, he responds, that God is at work in the hearts of unbelievers, and that gives us confidence. You know what, God, God's at work. Maybe, maybe you're, you're fearful in sharing the gospel, by the way. Maybe you think, you know what, how in the world, I'm flawed, I'm weak, I'm, I'm, I've got issues, and I'm not really, I don't have any testimony. How can I make disciples of Jesus? Because I've got problems myself, and yet God uses weak, flawed, fearful people and he works through us to bring dramatic deliverance. 
God is the one who's the hero in this story. Not only is he working, he's giving fearful people faith, but then he uses obedience in the midst of weakness to bring about his victory. The people are still weak. They're weak. And yet they, they respond. He uses their obedience and their weakness to bring about his victory. It's what we see in verses 16 to 22. Gideon responds and, and he obeys God finally. It's not impressive that he finally obeys God. God has had to, to make so many signs happen for Gideon to see things. So often that's the case with us too, right? And so this isn't valiant. Amidst these guys finally responding to the fact that God really is at work here. And so they're obedient, but they're weak. There are only 300 of them. And it doesn't say anything about sword. Did you notice that? Except for they say a sword for the Lord for Gideon, but they don't mention that they're holding a sword. Now, maybe they did have a sword or some kind of weapon at their side. We don't know. But what we do know they had in their hands is they've got a torch in one hand with a, a jar, a clay jar over top of it to contain it. And they've got a trumpet in the other hand, which is probably just a, a shofar, a horn. These are not, you know, the, the tools of war. <laughs> These aren't what are seemingly powerful weapons. You know, sometimes you feel like, you know, what God has given to me and the, the tools he's given to us. And, and, you know, the gospel is just simple. It doesn't seem that powerful. And yet it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. A, a torch and a jar in a trumpet, they're not going to do much against this vast host. And yet, God uses these simple things to, to bring deliverance. And so they got instructions, break your jar, shine your torch, and blow your horn. You know, it didn't require crack soldiers. You know, like, can you blow a horn? Cool, you're in. Can you, can you hold a stick? All right, good, you're good. Can, can you share the faith? that you have of what God has done. You don't have to be perfectly obedient. You don't, have to, you don't have to get it all right. You don't have to have perfect faith. But hey, can you be obedient in response to what God has given you, the faith that even he's given you? And, and I love that, by the way. I love that story that, because it's, it's God who gives the faith to begin with. And so their obedience in response, it, it's a faith-filled obedience, but it's, it's, it's faith that God has given to begin with. God, God is the one who actually makes us alive and gives us faith to begin with. And then enables us to respond. And so he's the one who gives us faith. He's the one who enables us. And they respond in weakness. They, they go and they break this jar. They shine their torch. They blow their horns. And then they stand there. You know, what's required of God's servant? Oh, be faithful. Just, just stand there. Shine a light. Blow the horn. They're weak, they're obedient though in the midst of weakness and God uses that to bring about victory and let that be an encouragement to each and every one of us. God's not asking you to go and slay all the powers of darkness. He's like, no, trust me and I'll do that. He's not asking for us to go and convert people to make people love Jesus and know Jesus. He says, no, shine your light, tell your story. Share the good news of what God has done. Share who, who God is and who you are. And tell of your weakness and your lack and how God has transformed you. And, and, and he's going to use that weakness as you stand there. And he's going to bring people to himself. I love that Joe's worship set this morning it, it was, had, had so many great songs about why this fear and unbelief. Because Joe didn't know that I was preaching from Judges 7 at all. And, and I love his, wow, God, was, I was preparing the way ahead of time. Why this fear and belief has not the Father put to grief his precious son for us? Our trust, our hope is in God. He uses our obedience in the midst of our weakness to bring about his victory. They all stand in their place. What do they do? They stand and see God at work. That's what we're called to do. Stand, be confident, see, God is the one who will be at work as we're faithful to him. It's not about the numbers, not about how many people you have, it's not about how many people are going to the church plant, it's not about the fact that there's 30 people, and that's not an impressive number, it's not about how many people we have here, it's a couple hundred people, it's not about numbers, what it's about is the great God who uses weakness and obedience and weakness to bring his victory. 
And so God does something. He sets every man's sword against his comrade in the army. They kill each other. They flee for about 30 miles to the east. It was a complete and utter rout to the enemy. He delivers his people. They hadn't drawn a sword up to that point. No one in Israel had drawn a sword yet. Now, he does call them to go afterwards. After God already routed them, they all set their swords against each other. All the, all the Midianites, the Malachites, all the people of the east, and the throngs of people, they set their swords against each other already, and they flee, and they're just standing there like, what in the world? 300 guys and 100 and some thousand people are, are fleeing. And then God says, now, now go. Now go do the easy work. Relatively. It wasn't their obedience that caused God to respond either, though. You know, back in the beginning of chapter 6, the people are persecuted by the Midianites, and they cry out to God, and they ask God to deliver them. And God's response was to send a prophet. And he tells them, he says, I delivered you, I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you in so many ways. This is God's answer to them crying out to him. I redeemed you in so many ways, and yet your response was to disobey my voice. And then you think, oh no. God's telling them that they don't deserve mercy. He's telling them they don't deserve grace. And what does he do? Just gives them mercy. Completely undeserved. That's what he's drawing attention to at the beginning of chapter 6. You heard my voice and you didn't listen to it. And then he goes, and he, he goes to a people who are fearful, who didn't deserve mercy. He goes to people who did not deserve grace. They did not deserve deliverance. They were disobedient even at the beginning of chapter 6 here. He didn't respond because they had finally turned their life around. They cried out to him and he was merciful, not because they deserved it, and he tells them that. You didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. And you continue to be disobedient. You continue to disobey my voice. And that's good news for us. He comes to us who don't deserve forgiveness, don't deserve salvation, don't deserve his grace. He comes to all those who cry out to him, not because we've earned it, but because he's a God of mercy. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of grace. When we deserve his justice, he gives us his mercy. And then God delivers his people in such a dramatic fashion. It causes their enemies to flee. They don't even lift a hand. And it wasn't Gideon's faith. It wasn't his cleverness. It was God's commitment to be with him and to give him victory is what we see. In your life, if you have cried out to God, it's not your obedience that has saved you. It's not your obedience that keeps you. It's not your hand that saves you. It's not your strength, your might, your faith, your, your vigor that brings deliverance. It is God at work through weak and fearful people. That's meant to encourage us and give us faith and hope that maybe God can work through fearful, weak people like us. Not maybe, but he does. And that's a consistent message of the gospel. That's a consistent message of the gospel. He doesn't use, not many are wise, not many are noble, not many of you are brilliant. It's not why God saved you. Now, maybe a few, but that's not, that's not what it's all about. God uses the weak things of the world to show his strength. Church, I have every bit of confidence in them as they go on that church replant and in our church as we remain here because it's not about us. It's about us pointing to the one who's the hero of the story and God working in and through them. I love, you know, I don't know whether Paul, the Apostle Paul had Judges 7 in mind when he was writing 2 Corinthians, but I know there's some parallels to it. You know, 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking about the fight that we're all in and that it's a fight that we will fail unless God helps us, that we're too weak on our own, and that we, we have a treasure, but it's in these breakable clay jars. But he's, he's given us this treasure that's meant to shine out of the darkness. And God works that way, so when victories happen, it's, it's to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us.
2 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul wrote, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God uses people with no confidence in their own strength. He uses people who are fearful that gives them faith. He uses men's obedience and their weakness and brings about his victory. That's good news for us. You may be feeling small. Don't, don't fear. You may be feeling weak. Don't fear. You may be feeling useless. Don't fear. God's the one who comes to useless, weak, and fearful people. And he accomplishes his salvation. I don't know what situation you're in right now. I don't, I don't know where your strength is. I don't know if you're at the end of your rope or not. I don't know if you feel like you're able to do things or not, but, but God is. That's the story of Gideon. God is able. You know, maybe you're feeling like, I, I, I have very little to offer. Be encouraged. That was Gideon's words at the beginning of chapter six. I'm weak. I come from the smallest clan. Maybe you feel like you've got little to offer God because you don't feel very big. God uses weak the least with not much to offer. He uses small contributions to bring about his great purpose. He's able to use our small church and the even smaller church replant to accomplish his purposes. And that's where our faith, that's where our hope lies. So what are we called to do? Speak of God. Tell of God. Expect him to be mighty. Expect him to be at work. Expect God to do great things, not because you are so great, but because God uses weak, feeble people and expect him to do that. Have faith. Church, have faith. You can share the gospel. It's seemingly weak. What will my neighbors think about me? I'm afraid. Share the good news. God's gonna transform people. I don't know about my family. I don't know what my situation is going to be like. Have faith in God. God will do great things. Not because we're so great, but because God is the greatest of all. Let's have faith in this great God. Let's pray. And uh, Joe, why don't you come up and play one of those songs you did before? They're all great, so whatever one you want to play is good.